I am. I am traveling this week to Phoenix. I leave this afternoon to be with our church that we started right around the same time that we started the river, which is now this, this church. If you're new, this church used to be called the River Church, and now it's Antioch Waltham. And when we started this church, um, a few months after that, we sent out a team, a fantastic team, our college pastor, associate pastor, his associate college pastor, a big chunk of the college team, our young adults minister. Um, we just basically sent the whole staff, half the staff, either to Phoenix or here, because at the time we were all in Brighton, and so uh, we took one church and sent it three different directions. And wow, what a blessing in Phoenix. We've got a church of 600 people in Phoenix that has got its own got its own building and is not only reaching the ASU campus, but reaching Grand Canyon. They have 150 college students that come on any given Sunday that they're ministering to. So I, I um, fi- find it a privilege to be able to travel to Phoenix in February. Just going to say that. Um, and go to the annual board retreat. But please pray for me and pray for my family as I'm away um, for this week. I'll be back next Sunday. We'll See you again here this next Sunday. We're starting a new series. If you saw um, on the screen and on your bulletin, we're starting, we've just come out of a fantastic series in Leviticus. Let's give it up for Brian Marcioni again for leading out. Um, and Brian, um, uh, with his, uh, his, um, his um, counterpart, Sean Richmond, we will be traveling. Um, in June and July to see that series in the other two campuses in Brighton and, and um, the harbor. So, coming at the end of the su- I mean, the beginning of the summer, you won't be seeing Brian for a few weeks as he takes this message to these different campuses. And that's what we're about as a church. We have three congregations, one church, and in any way that we can share the resources of our movement so that any one of our congregations is strengthened. That's what we're about. And so we're so excited. We've got the worship leader from Brighton over here and the bass guitar, Becky Bukowskis, are here with us. And you know, it's just legal for her to be here. It's like she's not playing hooky. She's just part of our church, and she's worshiping with us, and so that's awesome. But, uh, you know, if you ever have a chance to be a part of her worship leading in Brighton or when we do Encounter Nights World Mandate this year, what a fantastic worship leader you are, Becky. I'm so glad to be worshiping with you in this church. So back to what we're doing today. Reveal your kingdom. We are going to start a new series where we take a look at who Jesus is in the Gospels. And we're going to just look at who he is as a king and what kind of kingdom he was ushering in here on earth. And we're going to follow the, the Gospels right into Easter And then coming out of Easter, we're going to take a little time to look at what the church did in Acts in response to living out this kingdom. So for the next 12 weeks or so, we are going to be immersing ourselves in the kingdom. If you remember, at the beginning of the year, um, I had a a strong encouragement from the Lord to, to focus on Haggai and the words that were prophesied through Haggai, and the, the synopsis of that prophetic word that I felt like was a stirring for us in this season was, be about building my kingdom now. Uh, you know, the, the prophetic word to, those peop- to the people of that time was, you're really attentive to your luxurious homes that you're building for yourself, but you're not building the temple. Get back to building the temple and I'll bless you. And so 
God, what does it look like for us to build? We're not building a physical temple anymore, but we are the living temple of God, the Scripture says. And what does it look for us, like for us as stones in His temple to be built together in such a way that His kingdom comes and His will is done here at Antioch Waltham, here in Waltham, here in Boston, here in New England as it is in heaven. Amen? So we're going to do that. We're better to start looking at the kingdom than in Jesus' life. I'm going to start with a, with a thought about kingdoms and kings. We don't have a lot of kings in our world, but we do have a lot of leaders, and we have all kinds of systems. We've got monarchs. We do have some kings. We've got politburos. We've got democratic representatives. We've got all forms and fashions of leadership, uh, leaderships in this world. Um, but there seems to be a predominant, and, and, and sad to say, there seems to be a predominant way in which whatever structure you have, uh, authority is displayed. Rulership is displayed. And more times than not, rulership is not about how we can serve, but it's about how the rulers can be served, how they can be promoted and lifted up. And we don't have to go far in our own current context, to just have some illustrations of that. Right now, the Olympics are in full swing, and there's quite a buzz right now because the Olympics are in South Korea. As you know, there's been quite a bit of tension with North Korea. And right before the Olympics, the two countries decided to field a hockey team together and to allow the athletes from both nations to come together, which was an amazing gesture in itself. And then at the opening ceremonies the sister of the ruler of North Korea comes as one of the delegates. The first time since 1953 that one of the leading, one of the relatives of this leading clan in North Korea has been in South Korea as a guest. Huge. And the country is all abuzz about whether or not to what to do with it. And, if, and, and, and she's a beautiful 30-year-old lady. She's, she's got a sweet presence to her, and everybody's like, what do we do with this? The evil regime has a, has a sweet sister. You know, what, <laughs> don't know, don't know what to do with it. And what are her motives, and what is she trying to do? And we don't know. But what it does is it focuses us again on the rulers of this nation. And while she is sitting there smiling, we, under, we know what her brother has been doing. We know the, the, the reign of terror that he has lived his life leading uh, beheading, beheadings and torture and killings if you don't agree with him. Um, he has lived a self-centered, self-propagating leadership as a leader of, a, of a, a dictatorship country. And he's been in conflict with our very own leader um, of a democratic society. And, and I'm going to wade into politics here for a second, so just bear with me. Nothing about Republicans and Democrats, but just about leadership. And although our, our leader does not do the things that this leader I just described does, or he would not be our leader anymore, there's a similar posture that our leaders take, the posture of, look at me, instead of me looking to you. The posture of, I'm important, so you should honor me, versus... I'm your leader. I'm going to serve you. I say this to say when we come to the gospel, we do not have a king mindset that we can understand really. 
nor could they understand it when Jesus came because it was no different then than it was now. The kings and leaders of the day were just the same kind of leaders that we have today. Change the face, change the name, same kind of person. When we get in power, what is the phrase that we, we try to fight against? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's, it's a sad thing, and it's not true for every leader because we have the Spirit of God within our world, and the Spirit of God does stir within leaders to live a different way. But given to our own device, when we have power, from the smallest level of power as the, as the, 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 the kid who gets to lead the line to, to recess or the cafeteria, to the leader of the free world, when we have power, if we are not submitted to a different nature, then the nature of this world, oftentimes it leads to a kind of authority that we're not super excited about. We might get things done at times, but are we operating and are we leading out in a, in a kingdom that we see in Scripture? And Jesus came to bring a different kind of kingdom. He was different. He emptied himself. He obscured himself. He hid himself at times when he was here on earth. He went to the people that the leaders didn't go to. He served and empowered the people that kings rule over. He, he spoke and shamed the rulers and, and lifted up and empowered those who were being abused. He just did things differently, didn't he? That's why when we read the Gospels and we read about Jesus and we see that he was before the worlds began, he, he was God at the very beginning of time, that every, everything will be placed under His feet. All authority and reign is His. He holds ultimate power. It's because He is power. He is the creating God. He can do whatever He wants to. And when we look at this Jesus and know He not only can do it, but He's good enough to do it the right way, we are blown away when He leads out by washing his disciples' feet. We are, we are taken back when it says in Philippians 2 that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself from his heavenly position into the form of a human being, a baby, we understand from the other parts of Scripture, in a messy stable with ordinary human beings filled with sin and brokenness. He entered into this world not to come and rule over us with an iron fist. But he humbled himself, it says. In his life, through his journey, we're going to learn about that as we read through the Scripture, and it says he humbled himself all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. Willingly. Not because a new regime took over. He could have called, as we've sung in the hymns, a thousand angels. At any moment, he could have said, it's finished. Are you kidding me? I am the king of kings. Do you not know who I am? Text this. I'm the king. Really. Period. But he didn't. He served us. He willingly died for you. There's an old preacher that if you could get a hold of his, 
his recordings, and I, I hear that it might even be visual. I've only heard it, but it's called, That's My King. And he goes through all of the descriptions of, of Jesus, and he's getting excited like this. And he says everything else. And then at the apex of it, he says, oh, I wish I could describe him to you. I wish I could describe this Jesus to you. And I can do just a little bit of it. But when we get into his word, that's why he left us his word. That's why we have the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. If the very veracity of who Jesus is, is centered on the veracity of what the Bible shares with us. We can't pick and choose what we want out of the Bible because we think that we are better than the Bible. We have to trust that the God of the universe who gave us the Word of God gave it to us so that we can, in its words, reflect, know, discern, encounter, experience the living God. I will try to describe Jesus to you, but please don't let me be the author of that description. Let the word of God get into your, your heart, your lives, and let Jesus, the most intriguing and awesome man, God, in all of history and for the future of all futures, Jesus, be known to you. A couple of people said it this way. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a 1900s preacher and theologian, described the Gospels in the gospel and Jesus in this way, the fourfold gospel thus presents this person. I study it and I see a king who serves, a servant who reigns, a man fulfilling absolutely the highest ideal of life and yet one who transcends all these descriptions until the fisher of the Galilean lake who leaned his head upon his bosom and listened to the beating of his heart describes him in the mystic words, quote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Such is the person that the gospel presents, and if He be no real thing, as oftentimes modern critics in their intellectual assert certainty describe Him as just a man that came on the earth with His own flaws and the flaws of those around Him. Such is the person that the gospel presents, and if he be no real being, then so perfectly does the picture command my loyalty and my worship that I say, in God's name, lead me to the man who imagined him. If he's not real, I want to know who created him. Because this, Jesus, is greater than any man will ever know. We see him in these words of the gospel. The gospels that were written and scribed by people who were with him. Richard Bachman, um, Bachum, uh, the author of Jesus and the eyewitness, verifies that the authors as well as the people in the stories, Mary Magdalene, people that were healed, at the, people at the resurrection, the, the, the man who was lowered through the roof and healed, Simon the son of Cyrene that was there with him when he was walking with the cross, the women at the tomb, the disciples, all of these retold the stories that we are reading about decades after Jesus had died. Many of them martyred because of their testimonies and their alignment with Jesus who died, that they proclaimed rose again, and who they said ascended on high. When they shared these stories, the people around them either believed or they thought they were nuts. But there was no middle ground. And when they were 
called idiots and they were persecuted when they could have stopped the charade if they didn't believe or didn't see it. What did they do? They kept on telling the story because the story is real. Okay. I I, I can't help but believe Paul when he says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work we need. If we are not immersing ourselves in the Word of God so that we can know the living God, if we are not immersing ourselves in the little word W so that we can know the capital word W, then we're missing the very fiber of sustenance, the bread of life that God has given us to feast on. Tim Keller, some of your favorite authors and preachers, I know you listen to him on podcasts. <laughs> Keep on doing that. He wrote in his book, uh, The King's Cross, he tells of his own story, how he went through his own journey as an intellectual of trying to discern uh, the, the, the reality of who Jesus was. He grew up in a Christian home, but it was in college, he said, that he came alive to the Bible, into this Jesus of the Bible. And he says it this way. He says, the best way I can put it is that before the change, I poured over the Bible, questioning and analyzing it. Listen to this. This is so good. But after the change, it was as if the Bible, or maybe someone through the Bible, began pouring over me questioning and analyzing me. When we finally get to a place where we're not putting God on trial and putting His Word on trial and setting ourselves up as the critic, analyzing who He is, and we decide, you know what? You're alive and you're real and you're a real person and you really did create and you really do love me. What do you have for me? And we say, God, I don't want to analyze you. I want you to analyze me. That's when transformation happens in our lives. I want this series for you to encounter Jesus and his kingdom. And I want you to encounter a king. Who, and when, we, when he says those words, he does not to just analyze you and critique you, but to shape you and to love you and to form you. Jesus says of himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, let me teach you, for I am humble and gentle at heart. This is the Jesus that we know. He's not coming to beat us up. He's coming to set us free. All right, so we look at Mark. <clears throat> We're going to race through this first, first chapter of Mark because the, the book of Mark, written by Mark, who was a, a contemporary of Peter. Um, it's often considered that Mark was written as, an, as, a, as one who was writing the story of Peter. He hung out with Peter, and as Peter talked and shared about the stories with Jesus, Mark was there, and he wrote them down. And then he, he orally communicated this story, and then it later got written But as we see Jesus in in Mark, we see see a Savior who is called to action. He's doing stuff. 
And you're going to read through Mark, and you're going to see Jesus performing things, doing things, teaching things, loving people. We're seeing the expressive reality of this living God who has come to the world to do something about a world that's gone bad. This is Jesus in Mark. And let's look at verse 1. Let's start reading. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare you your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear him. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leathery belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That very first verse is very telling. It's the very first stroke of the pen in Mark's story, and he says this. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. In some of your translations, it says the Christ. This, this Greek word, Christos, is, uh, uh, describes an anointed one, an um, uh, anointed royal figure, uh, in, very similar to the NLT, how it translated it, the Messiah. This is him saying that Jesus is the Messiah that you have been believing for. This is what he's communicating to his readers, to the people he's telling the story. Jesus came on the scene and he was Christ, the Messiah. But he wasn't just a great man come to lead his people. He was divine. He was God, the Son of God. And he was the Lord that John the Baptist talked about, the one who would come to forgive and cleanse, of our, cleanse us of our sin and to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He moved from declaring about Jesus that he was the Messiah, which would have been a wrestle anyway for many in the, at his time, that he was the fulfillment of the prophetic words that the, te- that, that the Old Testament talked about. But he wasn't just the Messiah. He was, as John described in John 1, He was God, and he wasn't just God, but he's called to be our Lord, our master, our leader, the one that we submit and surrender our life to. This is the Jesus that Mark talked. So he's just saying, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Let Let me start off by saying this. This is who Jesus is, period. Can you take it? Let me tell you a story about who he is so you can believe that the first sentence of this story is true, because Jesus backs it up, and I'm going to tell you about it. He comes bringing this good news, and he, his good news is not only that we can be forgiven of our sins, but that we will be indwelled with the Spirit of God. John preached a baptism of repentance, but Jesus will not only preach a baptism of repentance, he will preach a relationship with the living God. You got baptized in water in the desert to be forgiven, but Jesus will baptize you with 
His presence. Do you realize that when you and I, if you're in this room and you put your faith in Jesus and you put your faith in a living God, not a historical figure, you put your faith not in a religious system, but a power that sets us free from sin that you didn't just get forgiven. Every time we take communion, if you notice, I remind us it's not just about what He has done on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but He rose from the grave and He's alive And He's not only alive, but He says, and I want to send My Spirit to live in you. I'm going to baptize you with My presence. So there should be no frowns in the room right now. Because the Jesus in you is going, that's right! I'm in the room! And I'm in these people! That's exciting! Because all of a sudden, it's not about how we could intellectually and willfully obey and respond to God. Now we have a relationship with the living God who's saying, walk with me as I walk, and you will walk in victory. Be with me as I be, and you will know acceptance and not aloneness. And we could go on. Jesus brought His presence here on earth, and He left His presence by His Spirit. Verse 9 through 11. There's just so much good stuff here, but i got to raise One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him. Now, that's an interesting thing. In the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, listen. We're going to see, after this passage of Scripture, we're going to see some things that Jesus does in the first days of his life. But this, these three verses are so important for this whole series. This, this, this is so important. What do you see in verses 9 through 11? What is, what is Mark trying to communicate that is so significant to the difference between Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom I described at the beginning? We see the Trinity. We see three distinct people in the Trinity of God, but one God. We see the Spirit of God. We obviously have Jesus. And we have the Father who speaks the word of blessing over His Son. This is my Son who I'm well pleased with. And Mark is saying, this is the mark of the kingdom. And it's not just the mark. And sometimes we get lost. We think the Trinity is some kind of theological term that we should know, but it has no relevance to our life. No, it is the very essence and centrality of what's different about God's kingdom. Do you understand it? Jesus, who was God, a part of the Trinity, fellowshipping with this three-person-in-one Godhead for all eternity, glorifying one another, serving one another. We see that through the Scripture, that the Father glorifies the Son, the Father blesses the Son, I mean, Son glorifies the Father, Father blesses the Son, Holy Spirit speaks of who Jesus is and glorifies the Father. They love on each other. They're preferring each other. They're honoring each other. This is a picture of what ruling authority looks like. This is a picture of what our kingdom is supposed to look like. Jesus, in human form, is baptized by somebody who's not God. He's a great man, but John the Baptist is just a human. And Jesus walks into the water and says, John, who I created, 
baptize me. He had no sin to repent of, but he went through that initiation, so to speak, to let people know I'm a different kind of king. And we're a different kind of kingship. A collaborative, glorifying, self-empowering team that prefers one another. The Spirit of God seen as a dove, there's only one reference in the, in the, 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 the Jewish people would have even understood to, to equate the Holy Spirit with the dove, and it was in their religious writings where, they, um, this, where the Holy Spirit was described in Genesis 1-2 as, it hovered, as, as God hovered over the waters. That word hover means to flutter. And as the Spirit of God fluttered over the water, the writings that expound on that passage of Scripture that, that people who had studied the Torah and had, had been under the teachings of the rabbis would have heard this teaching of that Spirit hovering or fluttering over the waters being equated to a, like a dove. A dove fluttering over the waters and creating. The Spirit dove creating and blessing the Father affirming and encouraging. The Son submitting and glorifying. Ugh, that's, that's my God. But more than that, that's our kingdom. It's our kingdom. When we do church, we don't do it great because we have so many world systems that are in our souls. But when we're doing it our best, and I'll just speak of my own team that I get to walk with, with the different people I walk with, when we're doing it our best, John is being honored by me. And John is honoring Brendan. And Brendan is honoring Bree. And Bree's honoring Elaine. And we're honoring, we're just, we're working together and we're serving and we're strengthening and we're with you because it's not about us. It's about you being empowered and equipped to be who God has called you to be. Jesus came to do that, guys. He didn't come to rule over us. He came to walk with us. And He came to empower us. It's pictured in the Trinity. He was led into temptation. I'm feeling a part two coming on. I just want you to know. Looking, looking at the clock. Worship team, get ready. We're going to have some ministry time, so I'm, I'm about to pause. So actually, worship team, come on up. I, I, want, I want to get to a time of response. And Elaine, I want you to remember when you come back. You're coming back, right? Okay, when you come back, I want to remember that word, okay? Jesus, as a leader, and you know, God doesn't do anything by accident. I, gotta, mm, mm, I want to hear an amen. God doesn't do anything by accident. Thank you, Jeremy. And so the very first thing that happened after he was baptized and affirmed by the Father, was he led out by example for you and I into the desert. He led by example. What is my rulership and leadership going to look like? I'm going to be tempted in every way, just like you are tempted. Yet I'm going to do it without sin so you can follow me. And you can know that I'm not above temptation. And we know that he didn't just get tempted in the desert, but his whole life was filled with temptation. 
His whole life was filled with persecution. His whole life was filled with opposition. Anybody feel like that's what your whole life is? Well, if you're not feeling it, I just want you to know that is what your life is. You are tempted, you're oppressed, you're persecuted. It looks like different things for different ones of us, but if we had 15,000 hours, we could hear everybody's story. Jesus has gone ahead of us, and he's tempted without sin. He provides a way for us when we are tempted. It says in Hebrews that we have a Savior who can, or a high priest who can sympathize with us because he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we can then come boldly into his presence because he's a great high priest who's paved the way. How did Jesus get through it? And this is how we're going to end here. And I'll come back to rest next week. How did Jesus, I think, get through the temptation in the desert? And how did he lead us, lead for us? He got through it the same way you and I get through it if we're smart enough. He remembered that before he went into the desert, he had a father who said, I'm pleased with you. And I'm with you. Don't let that devil lie to you. He's going to say some things to you in the desert, but I just want you to know really loud and clear, flutter, flutter, Holy Spirit, Father in heaven, I'm with you, my power is with you, I love you, I'm pleased with you, we are doing a great thing, we have a great team, don't give up on this team because of that liar who's trying to distract you and destroy you. So when we get in those situations and we're surrounded and the enemy says, look to your own interests, feed yourself, call out for your own goods, get into a scarcity mentality and provide for only you. That's what the devil is trying to do to, to, do to Jesus. Forget about those people up there. Forget about those God, that God you've been with. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. It's the survival of the fittest, Jesus. And I'll give you the power to take care of yourself. And Jesus said, no, I'm on a team. And my team wins, devil. But so are you, church. You're on his team. So when the enemy comes and says, I want to pick you up. I mean, he's not going to say, I want to pick you up. Why don't you just come on over here? Let's talk in private. Let me isolate you in your own thoughts and opinions. Let me get you out of community and out of community with God. Let me tell you how much you need to take care of yourself. God the Father shouting, No! I love you. I'm pleased with you. You've got my son in my life, my spirit in you. We're going to win. Don't listen to him. Okay, stand up. All right. Jesus, we, 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 we love you. Ah, we love that you're alive. We love, Lord, I just believe you're standing I, I did a decent job, but I know that you're standing up on your throne going, okay, that's good enough. I hope they hear it. Jesus, you're victorious. So, Lord, in this room today, as we come in and we have been cornered, and we've been distracted, and we've been picked on and isolated by the enemy, Lord, I ask God that you would give us your grace to enter that battle with a victorious mindset to trust that you are our protector and our victor and that what you do and have done is enough for me we want to be on your team we want to walk as a team together we want to cover each other we want to get each other's backs 
so we want to minister to one another right now. So if this is you, it's what we're going to do. We're just going to be team this morning. If you have a need, and hey, by the way, is it ever, ever wrong to have a need? Can you just say that? It is not wrong to have a need. It is not. Is it ever shameful that you might fall into sin? No. Of course God doesn't want us to fall into sin, but not because he, He's ashamed of us, because He knows that it destroys our lives and that it separates us from the love that He has for us. So if you are walking in sin this morning, is it shameful? No, you just need to get out of it. And how are you going to get out of it? By the power of God. Okay. If you have a need, and we'll just define it as that, I want you to come forward right now. You have a need that you want the team in heaven and the team in this church to rally around you and pray over you. Come forward. There's more than one person. If there's only one person, then we're not going home for lunch. We're going out on the streets. We are going to conquer Waltham in one fell swoop. Come on up. spread out, try to spread out single files so we can get people around you. We don't have enough prayer team members for all these people, which means we do have prayer team members, which means we're going to need extra reinforcement this morning. So you have not moved forward because at this moment you can't identify a need that needs prayer and you're filled with faith that what we just talked about is real and that Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you you have something to pray. Could you come forward? Find somebody that you see standing up here and lay a hand on somebody and begin to pray. And it's okay to ask them what they're wanting prayer for. And let's just pray. And we're going to have, every person is going to have a hand on their shoulder. At least one person. Okay? If you're a woman, I'd love for a woman to be with a woman. If you feel like as uh, opposite sex, you have a word for somebody, just make sure that somebody of the same sex is praying with you. Just so it's comfortable for the person you're praying with. We still have more people that need prayer. prayer. I'm going to start calling out people in the audience. Because I can see all kinds of prayer warriors out there or ministers. If you, have, if you do not have a hand, you've come forward and you don't have somebody praying for you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Got some over here on the far, my far right. Raise your hand if you haven't got somebody praying for you. If at any moment in the next few minutes as we worship, you feel like the Lord's stirring you to receive prayer or to pray for somebody, just move forward. And we're going to respond to the Lord.